0: Hello everybody, and welcome to episode 29 of the Wimlex podcast. We're delighted that Inzo van Zanten is in our show today. Inzo is the chief evangelist at Tony's Chocolonely. Tony's Chocolonely is the leading chocolate brand in the Netherlands. And they are aiming for 100% slave free chocolate. So as their Choco evangelist, Inzo tells the story of the Tonys around the globe. And He's in the Wim Lex show today, being interviewed by Willem, how that process takes place, how they are racing towards 100% slave free chocolate. He's talking about how they do their brand building, marketing, and all kinds of cool stuff to grow the Tonys brand across the globe, especially in Germany and other European markets. This show is being brought to you by Spryker, Debt Agency, and is being hosted by Alexander Graf from Germany, Lena Hekkeloer from Stockholm, and Willem Blom from Amsterdam. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello ladies and gentlemen, and welcome at the Wimlex podcast. We're delighted that we have Inzo van Zanten today with us. Inzo is the chief evangelist of Tony Sokoloni. And Tony Sokoloni is a Dutch born brand of chocolate, a chocolate manufacturer. And they're actually on the way to produce slave-free s- chocolate so inzo could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about Tony chocolate
1: yes yes now w- uh, welcome to be here i'm inzo i'm the uh, chief evangelist or the choco evangelist of uh, Tony chocolate uh, and uh, it's almost as you said in the introduction but slightly different because they tend to say we don't make chocolate uh, but we want to make impact so we're not a chocolate maker but an impact maker because Barry Callebaut, the biggest chocolate maker in the world, makes our chocolate. Uh, and uh, what we do is we work uh, towards making all chocolate worldwide 100% slave-free, so working together with the industry, with governments, with consumers, with retailers uh, uh, to really making sure that 100% slave-free chocolate becomes the norm in the world of chocolate. And is, um, is
0: slavery still a big problem in the chocolate it, is. It, is.
1: Industry? it is. In in. Uh, just Ghana and Ivory Coast alone, uh, the problem is the biggest there, that's why I talk about these, uh, these two countries. There's uh, 2.3 million kids that work there uh, on the cocoa farms, of which 90%, uh, 2.1 million kids, work under illegal circumstances. Now that is a problem in itself, but there's also the very worst cases, those are 30,000 that have been uh, established by the Global Slavery Index uh, figures of last year. Uh, that are actually subject to something that we call modern slavery. Uh, so those are people that are being forced to work uh, outside of the family environment, uh, kids that walk, uh, walk around with uh, bags of cocoa beans that weigh 60 kilos per bag, uh, kids that uh, aren't paid for the work that they do, etc. Et and that's a, uh, it's a problem, it's a hidden problem in the, co- uh, in the cocoa industry because uh, it's not very visible, uh, and, uh, and we think that's ridiculous in 2019 for a product that nobody actually needs, chocolate. Uh, it should be a treat, a treat for everyone, people who eat it, people who give it, because it's the it's the best present to give and to get, but also the people that that actually make the chocolate or grow the cocoa beans that, that uh, uh, chocolate is made out of. And, uh, and that's what we uh, work hard for with the 130-plus people that we have uh, in our company What I admire
0: very much is that you've seen this problem in the industry and you've identified that and then brought it onto the kitchen table of almost any Dutch family. Um, You are household names for many of us. Um, You guys um, are not only strong in identifying problem, but also in building a great enterprise around it. Could you tell us a little bit about the history and how you've been able to combine the good cause that you are uh, they're pointing at to building an enterprise that is uh, yeah, now so a household the, name here?
1: The history in a, in a nutshell uh, is that in uh, in 2005 there was a Dutch television show called Keuringsdienst van Waarde, which is a, an investigative journalistic program that looks uh, into food mostly. Um, and uh, they ran across an article on page 12 of a newspaper somewhere. Uh, about this issue. And they said, what? How can this be such a tiny article? How can this not be front page news? It's there in the industry. Doesn't anybody know about this? So they started investigating this uh, and realized the problem was much bigger than uh, than they had ever thought of before. And nobody knows about this. So, um, uh, well, long story short, um, uh, in the end, the television show, the the journalist working for the television show, Teun van der Keuken, launched his own chocolate company not having an idea that we would become market leader uh, 15 years down the road um, uh, but mostly to really uh, uh, creating awareness and that's still the number one step in our strategy now is creating awareness talking about this communicating about this anywhere we can Uh, so that's why uh, we're on a festival like this also talk to people uh, spreading that word uh, and at the same time making great tasting chocolate uh, in a way that we can show that a company can actually take responsibility for their full value chain. Um, And that is the second step in our strategy. So we want to simply show that chocolate can be made in a different way, uh, in a better way, in a a more sustainable way, in a more social way, and and do it in a way that we can actually inspire other chocolate companies to do the same. So instead of uh, just being annoying all of the time, which we are, but not all of the time, uh, and also inspiring other companies to show them that you can actually uh, uh, change your ways uh, and take responsibility for the value chain uh, in whatever industry. And in our case, that's the chocolate industry. Uh, So slowly but surely, you see people joining our initiative and and joining forces to actually make that world a better place. So that is the historical sense. Um, And then the current situation is that uh, what you see is that uh, people get to us through three ways one is the amazing tasting uh, chocolate because you can make an utterly sustainable bar uh, where everything is right but if it tastes crappy people won't buy your bar again, and you're not making the impact that you want to make um, so we have 23 24 25 plus recipes constantly you never know how many because we always have rotating recipes and seasonal recipes as well and um uh, the other way is uh, our branding, our communication, our identity, uh, the way we actually talk to people through our packaging, um, uh, through our bars, uh, the shape of our bars, even. That's the Could you
0: elaborate th- that? Because I'm, I'm always yeah. uh, curious what the shape actually is. <laughs> yeah, are.
1: so our bar is, is unequally divided. Okay. Uh, and we managed to hide the map of Western Africa in our bar okay. to show the, uh, uh, the origin of our beans and the respect we have for the partner uh, farmers that we work with to make this chocolate. So it's unequally divided, but it also has a reason because that's annoying. Yeah, an unequally divided chocolate bar is annoying. Uh, let's be honest. Uh, but what it does is that it forces you that to tell this story if somebody else sitting next to you asks you, why is that bar so unequally divided? Uh, and then you can explain that, uh, well, the bar is unequally divided because it's the purest form to reflect the reality in the chocolate industry. For us, our bar is a, is a communication vessel, so uh, um, uh, if somebody sits next to you, you tell this story. And the storytelling is the essential part in this brand because we don't do any paid media. We've never done any form of paid media. Well, let's stick to IT uh, uh, slightly uh, and social. Um, We once supported a Facebook post with 40 euros. And then in the evening we said, nah, that's not very Tony's. So that was the only 40 euros media spend we've ever done. Uh, And uh, we do, I mean, we do a lot of uh, earned media. uh, So there's a lot of PR effort that we do uh, because, well, people find uh, find it newsworthy. We are sometimes uh, amazed that uh, on New.nl, uh, an essential source uh, of online uh, news, shows uh, when we have launched a new recipe. We're like amazed, how can that be so newsworthy? But we love that because we reach consumers again. So the bars, the recipes that we have, the communication that we have, but also the mission that we want and uh, the mission that we support. So that's 100% slave-free chocolate worldwide, period. Uh, and. All three of the uh, uh, routes into our brand need to, in the end, add up to the mission yeah, because for us, it's about that. It's not about uh, making chocolate. It's not about making a, f- a financial profit for us it's about reaching a mission of 100% slave free chocolate. And when that's reached, we could say we've become obsolete and then we'll do something else. Um, so so the, the three combined is what, people, uh, what attracts people to our brand. Uh, and I think it's also because the way we communicate, the way we do marketing, it isn't a constant push in your face and look at us being uh, amazing. It's, it's much more creating a pool from the uh, consumers themselves. Uh, and, and also that's what I also said in my talk. Uh, d- therefore, we want to create this or we're creating this consumer base of serious friends uh, that are uh, one step more active than just chocolate consumers. So these are people that actually buy our bars dig into our mission, but also actively spread this mission amongst their family and friends.
0: So for the listeners, um, we are at a festival called Depp Festival, where Inzo just held a talk, so he's referring to that. Um, We're also at an international festival, so uh, I think people from the Netherlands, well, I don't think so, I'm sure people from the Netherlands know Tony Socoloni. You're a sad household brand name here, and you've done amazingly well in the Netherlands. maybe the best-selling chocolate
1: We're brand in the supermarket. Yeah, we've become market leader last year. Amazing. And
0: yeah, yeah. Um, we also have a lot of listeners from Germany, and I think the majority of people who work at DEPT are now uh, German-speaking, so we, the Dutchies have been overtaken by the Germans. Yeah. Um, how is your globalization strategy going? Because you said you want yeah. to make the full supply chain and the global chocolate market uh, slave-free. How is that going in terms of convincing brands outside the Netherlands of your mission? And secondly, how well are you positioned uh, to grow also in markets like Germany or the UK or, no. or, or the rest of the
1: world? That's a very current uh, subject because uh, um, normally uh, it would be logical for a Dutch brand to, after Holland, go to Belgium, Germany and then Scandinavia. We uh, took the bold step to go to the US first. And why the U.S.? Because we sometimes say that if you want people to listen to you, you have to make noise in the backyard. And the U.S. is a backyard of a couple of the biggest chocolate brands. So we launched in Portland, Oregon, and we're now available nationally in the U.S. uh, at Whole Foods and many other uh, stores. Uh, And then we launched into uh, Belgium, uh, and we're now available in uh, Scandinavia, Finland, uh, France as well, uh, and also Germany. Uh, so we're growing fast in Germany, uh, and uh, this, on our website, you can find the locations that were being sold. Um, so you the see the regular that
0: supermarket chain, or the more...
1: Uh, uh, I, I'm not sure chain. about specifically what stores in, in, uh, in Germany, but what we normally do is that we go through uh, stores first where you see the conscious consumers coming in, and then stores where you have high footfall, so airports, uh, train stations, uh, etc., uh, high street uh, delicatessen stores and then retailers indeed uh, and that, that can be quite quickly uh, for example in the UK we're now available in 1500 Sainsbury stores uh, and the Whole Foods in, the, in London so yeah, yeah what you see and what I find so interesting is that uh, people are really picking up the idea of that you're able to indulge yourself while still doing something good for the world around you uh, so sometimes it, it, it feels a bit like Michelangelo uh, making the David, he said that it was always there, I just need to cut, out, cut it out of stone, right? And I think this, this, this uh, demand was always there and we're just filling, fulfilling the demand.
0: Also in other markets?
1: Yeah, also yeah. in other markets. And, and, uh, and,
0: and how's the uptake in the U.S.? How well are you uh, amazing,
1: amazing, but the U.S. is a huge country and we're, we're really proud of the fact that we're really available nationally now in the U.S. Uh, but it's it's like I mean it's 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 like conquering Europe, right? It's it's a, it's a, it's a continent in itself, uh, and uh, US is is going, picking up amazingly. UK is really outperforming uh, anything that we could have imagined, and honestly, if you would have asked me three four years ago where do you see yourselves, I would not imagine myself today being able to say that I can honestly think that this brand can be a global brand making a movement. And that is not important for us to become a global brand, but it is important, important to create traction amongst the industry because, it simply said, if you're bigger, if you're more successful, people will look at you better and will start copying what you're doing. And that's exactly what we want.
0: And, and going back to that original face, uh, Teun van der Keuken uh, came up with the idea. He made a television show about uh, Coco, growth and, yeah. and found out about this problem from a television show to build a successful company. Uh, there yeah. are many steps yeah. necessary, yeah. obviously, <laughs> and I think Henk-Jan Beltman uh, was one of the first involved. He's, yeah. I think, now the majority owner of, yeah. of Tony yeah. Um How did he and Tony van der grow this idea into a successful company? Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably there were others who saw the problem as well, but you guys are the one yeah. Who really convinced the general audience of, of the necessity? Exactly.
1: And it's it's um, what you see is that when uh, Tony's uh, had been around a couple of years and Hank Jan uh, saw the brand and got involved and, and bought uh, a minority share and later on a majority share, you saw that we really started picking up from there. So Tony's was established, uh, which was great through Königsdienst van Waarde, where, by the way, to set something straight, turn was the face and the initiator uh, but the people behind the scenes were the initial real shareholders uh, so those are the, uh, uh, the the owner of the p- uh, production company of Kursnitzvonheide Maurice Deckers and um, um, it was it was growing but it wasn't being picked up as an enterprise as we're working it now so I think what you saw is that in the beginning we were eager and we were uh, you call it radical in the sense that maybe we thought let's get 100 market share in the world of chocolate and then we'll solve the problem right uh, that was a bit of a, a, a dream maybe and and once we started combining it with well perhaps we can get 100 percent of the market to actually start copying what we're doing and inspiring them towards that way by really being entrepreneurial uh, and bold and outspoken as well um, uh, but really combining the two So when Hank Young came aboard, this entrepreneurial spirit came on uh, and it was really about expanding uh, and we took big steps internationally, but also in Holland. Um, And then we grew amazingly. I mean, uh, we grew from a small company to more than 60 million euros uh, per year revenue now. Uh, And when you become market leader in uh, the Netherlands, then it becomes essential if you want to maintain that growth to go international. So that's that's the historic sense where uh, Hank Young came on board. Uh, and really started running the company uh, as a majority shareholder.
0: And, and you said that you have currently 130 people working at Tony's. What yes, are their roles? To,
1: I can tell you it's hard to keep up nowadays, <laughs> yeah. so I've had a long summer holiday. Yeah. So I think we should be around 130 people now, yeah. of which we have about 10 in uh, the US, about 10 in the UK, and the rest the best here in Amsterdam. And what are they doing? Well... Uh, <laughs> a lot <laughs> of busy, <but laughs> uh, well, it's, it's, it's traditional and non-traditional at the same time. So we have a, a sales uh, team. We have a marketing team. Uh, we have an operations team. Uh, I think what makes us different than other brands is that we also, for example, have an impact team that's really focused on the impact that we're making in Western Africa, but also in, in Europe and in America, etc., to uh, create this traction. Uh, so we have a, an impact team that's really always working closely also with the cooperatives and the farmers in Africa making sure that we're actually making the impact that we're aiming to make and also for example a team that traditional companies would call HR uh, which we don't like uh, and, and we call them people and culture because we think maintaining this this amazing work culture within Tonys is what makes us successful uh, and people, people love to work at and for a company and has this very strong purpose, uh, and where purpose nowadays is a slightly overhyped term, maybe it's very clear and, and visible within Tony's that everybody is really working towards that that mission of 100% slave-free chocolate, whilst at the same time making it as fun as possible to work at this company. So it's a it's a well uh, stay within the terminology. It's a very a bitter subject that we're working uh, to, to, to fix in the, in the industry. So we always think let's make it as fun as possible to work at that within the company, outside of the company. Um, so that's, that's what distinguishes us from other companies, I think. And also the fact that we show that you can be financially successful without it being the goal, but it being a, an essential mean towards a goal, uh, because financial success is essential if you want to keep doing what you're doing. But it's not what we uh, what we strive to be right and nobody gets born and thinks in the end i want to be financially successful no you want to make an impact and that's what we're working on and
0: if you compare well not similar companies to you but also mission driven companies like ben and jerry's yeah vegetarian butcher in the netherlands yeah, yeah. Uh, what you saw with them when they became a market leader in, in in a country or maybe two or three countries that in the end they saw that the impact could be higher when they teamed up with yeah. the global uh company, a multinational yeah. FMCG company, in this case Unilever. Yeah, Would you see that as a potential to reach your goals as well?
1: Uh, I, I, at Tony's I've learned to never say never. Uh, I, I never thought we would open a factory, and we are. I never thought we would open a store in the Beurs van and we did. I never thought we would become market leader, and we did. But I'm glad you put it that that way, because some people are really skeptical sometimes about uh, Ben & Jerry's being sold to Unilever, uh, innocent drinks that I launched in the the Benelux uh, being sold to Coke, and uh, indeed uh, the vegetarian butcher being sold to Unilever. And I'm less skeptical, because uh, if that indeed brings you closer to your mission, uh, then you should keep in mind that the mission was the one thing that we started out at, uh, right? Um, So if that brings you closer to the mission then I am not afraid of uh, teaming up uh, with a big player like uh, in that case uh, Unilever or anybody else. As long as it brings us closer to the mission.
0: And how's the conversation now going with these these FMCG brands? Nestle I think is the the, the largest chocolate maker in the world. Uh, well,
1: uh, well, no, Barry Callebaut and Cargill are okay, the biggest trooper Okay,
0: they're uh, bigger, but Nestle uh, has famous Nestle brands like KitKat. Nestle is big,
1: yeah, and, we, and we're constantly in discussion yeah. with all How of these they brands. How did respond to your story? Well, uh, you know, a, a, a famous, bold Indian guy once said, uh, first they ignore you, and then they laugh at you, and then they fight you, and then you win. And I think we rushed past them so quickly that we went from being ignored to winning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you see, sometimes uh, they fight you, sometimes they laugh at you, but mostly I think they are, uh, uh, they are open and inspired and also eager to work towards change. Uh, I mean, nobody in these companies uh, goes to work in the morning and thinks, how can I mess up this world a bit more? Uh, but sometimes you need to uh, point to the facts, sometimes you need to help them accelerate even quicker, and I'm putting this mildly. Uh, and uh, and that's our role as a brand, I think. But it's not there to be annoying. It's not there to become market leader. It's not there to sell chocolate. It's there to make an impact. So. And do you
0: see uh, companies like Mondelez and Nestle transition quicker than maybe a couple of years ago? Uh, well,
1: it's always hard to say what part uh, uh, we played in their uh, changes and their aspirations. But all of these players now have uh, uh, programs in place. Some. In our opinion, uh, more ambitious than others, uh, some being put into practice more than others. Uh, but it's always abund- uh, uh, it's it's up to us to keep talking to them. And for example, we work together with Nestlé in the International Cocoa Initiative to implement systems on the ground uh, that are called the child labour monitoring and remediation systems. Uh, and yes, we sometimes then debate, okay, but we implement it at all our cooperatives and all our farmers, why don't you also do that? So so that's our role, you know, to, to, to be uh, an inspiration and to be cooperatives, but at the same time also keeping them on edge and also sometimes criticizing them, but also high-fiving them. Eh? When Lidl uh, Belgium uh, two days ago announced that they are going to uh, have their chocolate made with fully traceable cocoa beans, where a higher price is paid for, we applauded it. We think that's great. That's amazing. And yes, let's keep in touch before we all start inventing uh, the wheel by ourselves and see how we can cooperate together to work towards that that goal. Um, Because in my opinion, it's ridiculous to think that you would need to find a USP based on basic human rights. Right, and let's all adhere to these basic human rights, and then differentiate from there in packaging, in branding, in recipes, etc. And, and
0: talking about, for example, packaging. Um, obviously, you're you're very capable of tracing back the origin of the cocoa bone. Yeah. Uh, and making, uh, trying to, um, uh, being it being plucked uh, in a slave-free manner, yeah. which, which is great. Uh, I, I truly admire that cause. Uh, what we now see, and we had discussions at this festival as well, in how to green the full supply chain of, of different industries, um, yeah. for example, um, packaging uh, yeah. that could be uh, uh, in a way where you can uh, recycle uh, the package that, that's put around chocolate or um, looking back at the at, at, uh, Reducing the sugar intake for health benefits. Uh, are these discussions on the way within definitely. Tony's as well and ah, what is your stance on that?
1: Oh, ah, definitely <coughs> um, So even though we're focused on uh, um, Making 100% Slavery Chocolate the norm in chocolate uh, We definitely take our responsibility as a producer of food and of goods um, So for example what we did last year we started Making our cocoa butter. So chocolate consists of a couple parts. But from a cocoa bean, you can have you have two processes. One, you make a cocoa mass, and one, you make a cocoa butter. It comes from the same bean, though. Um, and in the, and then at the end, you put it together. You add a bit of uh, milk powder, sugar, soy listine and then you have a, a chocolate bar. And then and now, sorry to my colleagues, I'm making this overly simple. But that's more or less <laughs> how you make a chocolate bar. Um, the production of cocoa butter we are now doing locally in Abidjan, uh, which has a couple of uh, uh, benefits. One, we can now also buy the mid-crop from uh, the farmers, which is normally a crop that isn't exported uh, due to quality reasons. But you can, uh, we can use it to make cocoa butter. So this helps our farmers directly. And by producing our cocoa butter in Abidjan in Ivory Coast, we reduce our f- CO two footprint on the cocoa butter by fifty percent. Um, so that's one part. Two, uh, we and we look at all these parts. So we want to have a climate neutral bar, uh, hopefully before the end of next year, uh, taking all these parts together. So as as we touched upon earlier uh, before the podcast, Just Dig It is, for example, our partner for CO two composition. Um, Our packaging uh, is uh, bleach-free, unironed, FSC-certified paper. We have the thinnest layer of aluminum foil, which is fully recyclable in our bars. And we still need to have that to be able to reach the shelf life that we need to have for our bars. Uh, So it's also in that way to reduce food waste if you have a long enough shelf life. So, So it's not my personal favorite, but we need to have that aluminum foil still there. Um, Now, uh, uh, what else do we do? We're looking into milk powder because the majority, uh, 60% of the CO2 footprint of our company is because of the milk powder in uh, milk chocolate. Uh, So we're constantly looking how could we decrease CO2 footprint in that manner
0: could it be replaced because what we see now with a lot of baristas starbucks is introducing uh, oat milk
1: yeah for yeah. example yeah that's uh, easier fluffy on your yeah. coffee okay than in a, than chocolate, in a bar. chocolate bar so we're constantly looking at what we could do yeah. but it's uh, up till now we've never been able to use an equivalent and still reach the quality of taste that we have and as i said earlier you need to have this quality uh, because otherwise people won't buy your bars again and then you won't be able to make the impact so it's a constant balance there. Same thing as you touched upon earlier, sugar. Yeah? How can we reduce sugar in our chocolate? Well, the darker you make the chocolate, the less sugar you have in it. So I would inspire listeners to eat dark chocolate. You also have a I lower dark CO2. Dark chocolates. We yeah. have them in the office, the no, blue uh, ones. It's, it's, the exactly, ones. and no, it's great. perfect because yeah. it also has a lower CO2 footprint because yeah. there's m- less milk powder in there or no milk nope, powder. No milk exactly. powder. Exactly, yeah. so it's, it's, it's a... It's a it's, it's a total reduction of CO2 footprint, yeah. but I'm a personal fan of milk chocolate. <laughs> uh, so, uh, for example, sugar is, is one of those things that we're also looking at. How could we reduce sugar, making even a darker bar perhaps, uh, but also perhaps using alternatives left and right. Uh, but that's hard. Uh, it's hard to find an equivalent that could still make this great tasting bars. Um, and that's just one side of the story, because it's also about production, how can you still produce it properly, how can you still uh, also inspire other companies to do the same with their chocolate, etc. Et
0: so you're describing some internal challenges to the future, uh, which you're working on. What would you say from a more market perspective or consumer perspective are challenges that you're facing to... to uh, reach your mission
1: uh, for internationalization is the big one now, okay. so it's really growing big in the countries that we're represented now uh, If it's up to me, we're not constantly expanding into even more countries constantly, but also uh, Grow the countries that we're at now because it's also about being focused uh, and um, So US UK Scandi, etc, etc and maybe finding uh, new uh, uh, markets, new uh, propositions within chocolate, uh, because for us it's, uh, it's really focusing on chocolate. I mean, you could also, you, we could do a thousand things. Eh? As Dutchies, we're crazy about uh, chocolate sprinkles, Hagelslag, uh, and uh, it, it would distract us too much from making these bars and making that impact, because you want to have the highest cocoa count Possible because by having cocoa count in your chocolate, you can make more impact for the cocoa farmers, and that's what we're about. So chocolate milk, chocolate sprinkles, great. Uh, but for now, we're focused on the bars and on small bars and on the tiny Tonys, for example. So that's our focus now. Uh, Internationalisation, I think, would be the, is is currently the biggest challenge that we're facing, and also obviously the factory that we uh, have announced that we're going to open within a couple of years' time. Uh, that's that's going to be a biggie too, that's a, that's a big boys league.
0: And I can imagine, because you're such a purpose-driven organization, that recruiting is not on top of the list of the challenges that you face? Recruiting of, of people? people
1: yeah. No, because we have the fortunate situation that people would love to work at yeah. Tony's. So, when we, uh, we always put our job uh, uh, openings on social media yeah. and we tend to get enough people through there or through our own network. Uh, and uh, but it's true. I mean, it's 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 hard to find the best people always. But I think for us, it's slightly less hard than for many other companies.
0: Yeah. And, and and what I th- saw in your uh, LinkedIn job profile, you're the chief evangelist. Um, you usually see evangelists at tech companies, say Werner Vogel, who is an evangelist at Amazon. Yeah.
1: Um, you know who my inspiration was no? for this job title, I yeah. got to tell you there's a guy called Guy Kawasaki. Oh yeah. Yes, that is an yeah. entrepreneur and a public speaker and he was yeah. the evangelist of the Macintosh at Apple. Yeah. And I saw him speak some t- a couple of times and I thought that might be an interesting job title for me. Shoko evangelist. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think
0: uh, all FMCG brands or consumer facing companies need an evangelist?
1: Well, uh, obviously, to uh, to keep my own job in place, yes. Uh, No, but seriously.
0: What are the benefits and the advantages? No, I think
1: you know what. For us, for us, it's about telling the story anywhere and everywhere we can to the right people on the right stages on the right places internationally. um, Because we don't want to. Well, we're not. We don't spend a single cent on paid media, and that's uh, so. For us, it's about really telling the story, conveying the story. And I think if you manage to really tell your story. Properly and also in a way that I, th- I hope, people leave feeling slightly empowered and unable to make a change themselves. So I hope that, and I sometimes get this, this, these comments back on social media or LinkedIn uh, uh, to me, that a month later people say, "Seriously, I, I can't stand in front of a shelf and now not choose the right chocolate." And I'm, and I'm not even, I'm not even asking these people to buy Tony's chocolate on me. I just ask them to make. A, a, a proper judgment of what to buy and what decisions to make when buying products. Because in my opinion, people could say, well, we can vote every two, four, six years. But in my opinion, you can vote each and every single day with your shopping basket. Yeah, Because if you don't buy crappy stuff, people will stop producing crappy stuff. I think it's that simple. Right? And, and
0: um, we're wrapping up this podcast because we always try to leave it to say 30-35 minutes. Um, my question is in your name. Um, your name is well, Tony's, it's maybe derived from Teun, uh, yeah. I can imagine, and the lonely part, so the lonely so the Lonely
1: part, part. battle in the chocolate industry. Ah, That's That's really. where we started off and yeah. it's funny because so many people talk about Tony yeah. Chocolonely or Tony Chocolonely, yeah. but it's actually Tony's Lee. Tony, indeed, Teun, international name for Teun, and his lonely battle in the chocolate industry.
0: Will your name in the future change to something else? Because no, because it's, hor- <laughs> it's,
1: it's already. I mean, it's 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 a horrible name, but it's a lovely name too, right? It's impossible to pronounce for the majority of the people, but it's also distinguishing. You know, people talk about it, and people stumble over it. And when you stumble over it, you stand still and you look at you look at it. And I think that's the role of our name. Great.
0: Thank you so much for being Thank in this. Thank you podcast. for having me here. Thank you. <laughs>